You are listening to a production of the Tor Network. This is Laser Knees number 135, Zenkai Sentai Send Up. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Kikai Sentai Zenkaiger, episode 3, The Seriously Magician, and episode 4, The Sound of Curiosity is Vroom Vroom. Our writer for both is Komura Junko. Our director for both is Tasaki Ryuda. Uh, Tasaki Ryuda is a longtime tokusatsu director whose debut goes back to 1995's O-Ranger. Oh, dang. And with the exceptions of 2004, 2005, and 2016, has worked on Sentai, Rider, or both every year since. Uh, his first time as a lead director was Ginga Man in 1998, and since then he has primarily directed for Kamen Rider, but was the lead director for both seasons of Akiba Ranger and a few episodes of Kira Major. Okay, so this is kind of a, a, an Akiba Ranger reunion moment, isn't it? A little bit. And it's, it's definitely got that energy. Which, good. More things should. Uh, and to add to our new names for the season, uh, we've got the rest of our heroes suit actors. Majine is played by Ayumi Shimazono, a veteran suit actor with credits in miscellaneous roles dating back to the Geki Ranger movie, and who graduated, so to speak, to named roles, at least according to Ranger Wiki, uh, starting with Kyoryu Violet in Kyoryuger. Uh, she's also played the child version of Tokyo 5 in the Tokyuger Returns movie. Amu in Juoger, Chameleon Green in Q Ranger, Lupin Yellow in Lupat, Ryusol Pink in Ryu Soldier, and most recently Kirame Pink, uh, before taking on another excellent pink this year. Yes. Uh and man, no wonder she is able to get so expressive outside of battle having played Amu. Because right. Amu rocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um Vroom's suit actor is a relative new to playing a member of a Sentai, but has but has been hard at work in Sentai series for quite a while. Uh, Kazuya Okada has been playing a lot of monsters and other unnamed roles since Shinkenger, and seems to do, again, just a lot of monster suits. For instance, he was both Shadon and Emperor Yodon in last year's Kira Major, and before that played a few Monsters of the Week in Ryu's Soldier. His only other time as a suit actor for a member of the Sentai was Ryu Soul Gold. Oh. Yeah, he's, like, this is his, I think his second uh, playing a Sentai member role. Yeah, and his first um, time in the, the Core 5. Yeah, so, like... Again, he's got credits that go back to Shinkenger, so he's hardly new to Sentai, but it's it's still neat to see someone going from the relative anonymity of playing the monsters to get a chance to shine out here in front. I was also going to uh, give some love to the person playing Bokowaus's arm, and maybe like the person who puppets his mouth if they're not the same person, but uh, the, the names of the people who do that are yet to be revealed. Um, okay, so for the several of the remaining voice actors, um, I'm not doing all of them. We'll get the, the last there, couple look, of them. There's a lot. There are a lot of people. Um, Majine is voiced by Miyamoto Yume, who has primarily been an anime voice actress uh, going back to 2005. Most notably, she was Rika, uh, the female lead in 2019's SSSS Gridman. Sorry, I always gotta count out those S's. Um, no, you, you do, because... Like, I would just go SSS Gridman, and, like, everyone would know. But still, but also it's, it's it that fourth right. S. Um, but yeah. she was the the main black-haired girl. Mm. 
Um, Not the one based on Shattered Glass Optimus Prime. No. Uh, I forget who she was based on. But the, the, the main protagonist girl. Starscream, yeah. The, so she she voiced her. Vroom is voiced by Sato Takuya, whose anime credits go back to 2001, um, and whose notable anime credits, there's a lot of them, but these are the ones that I think people would most know. Um, Cesar, Ze- Cesar Zeppeli from Jojo Part 2, uh, Meijin Kawaguchi from Gundam Build Fighters, and Nikaido from Doki Doki Pretty Cure. Nice. Bokoas is voiced by the one and only Joji Nakata. Uh, his earliest tokusatsu role is as Sir Crowler in Flashman, uh, and that was a face acting role. He that was just him. Flashman. Yeah. Um, and he he has a bunch of other tokusatsu credits, but most recently he was Azald in Zuoger, uh, Tank Joe in Ryu Soldier. He was also the one villain in Gokaiger who made Sid into a horrible corpse cyborg. That was him. Oh, dang. His other major anime roles, uh, Alucard in Helsing, Kirei in Fate Stay Night, uh, E-102 Gamma in Sonic Adventure, and Luxord in Kingdom Hearts. Whoa. Uh, Joji's a big name. Yeah, clearly. Um, he was also He's also been Enrico Pucci in the JoJo video games. I don't know if he will be reprising that role for the, the Part 6 anime. That hasn't been announced yet. Uh, but it's possible. But he has he's played the main villain of Part 6, if you're not familiar with JoJo, uh, in the video games. Uh, so he's he's got a lot of tokusatsu credits, but he's also got a lot of big anime credits, and he's pretty much the villain voice. I mean, yeah. That's him. He's very good at it. Um, you'll get the remaining three villains next time, because there are so many voice actors, and I don't want to read off voice actors for an hour so you're getting you're yeah, getting three fine. per show yeah that's it um it's it's a good you know look as long, i think it's good that we're just making time to make sure they get some credit yeah um but there is one guest credit for episode four that i cannot overlook having looked up who this is uh mr sue the elderly man who immediately gets caught up in this week's boxing shenanigans is played by Kitagawa Tsutomu, better known as Kitagawa Tutom. He's a longtime suit actor who goes all the way back to Battle Fever J as Battle Kenya. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, he, wow. he portrayed a lot of early blue and black rangers, was Bat Lee in Geki Ranger, and was the suit actor for the one and only Godzilla from 1999 to 2004. Oh, Dang, dude is Tokusatsu royalty. Like he, that's that puts him as Godzilla, right up until the king basically went into hibernation, until Legendary Godzilla hit ten years later, or for <clears throat> actual Godzilla content until Shin Godzilla twelve years later. Cause hey, I don't know if y'all know, uh, your boy does not care for the Legendary Godzilla films. Um, also, I found out while just while looking that up, uh, some wikis which purport to be Godzilla wikis do not list the suit actors. Crime. And I just want to say, for shame. Crime. Illegal. How dare you? Um, it was actually like, very hard for me to verify that this was the same Kitagawa Sutomu. I was 
because I looked him up and they, they were like, oh, he was, he has all these tokusatsu credits. He was the Godzilla suit actor. I could not find a recent photo of him. I feel like every photo I could find of him was from maybe five years ago, at which time he looked very different. I, you know, I, I found one from when he was uh, in the Godzilla suit, and yes, he looks different, and like he has a beard now, but boy, the shape of, of that dude's mouth and chin are like, that's the dude. Yeah, because I, I was that like, this definitely dude. looks like him, but I, I, I didn't want to just be like, yeah, it's definitely him when it was... Look, I just don't want to trust Ranger Wiki. I don't want to take Ranger Wiki at face value. I would like to verify it through other sources. Trust but verify, yeah. No, that's... So I did manage to like, find look... a photo of him during some, like, Zoom interview last year, and I'm like, okay, that's definitely him. Uh, but it's... I... Oh. I spent, like, half an hour Are trying we... to verify that. No, that's fair. I just found out that uh, he also attended Power Morphicon in 2016. Uh, that's, yeah, stateside tokusatsu convention. I, I, at least I assume so, because I know people who've gone to Power Morphicons and they're tokusatsu people, but also many of them... They do, like they Power pull Rangers in a lot, they pull in rider actors, they pull in sentai actors. It's, it's more or less a tokusatsu convention. Um, I've heard that I mean, is just it built sense. around being. It, it was built around Power Rangers because that is really the Western side of yeah, the that's fandom. That's how you get in. Yeah, which, like, I, I, I know that I am. Like, I say I. I think we are relatively unique because I, I don't think either of us were big Power Rangers people from the off. I was when I was seven. Um, I watched. M maybe half of the first season um, and I was really really into it and then I immediately fell out of it and I did not come back to it until long after I was in the toku community in general um, at which point I watched about half of Dino Charge which was a good show I just didn't keep watching it because I'm very bad at watching things on television no, I look, I get that. But yeah, like this is not me trying to uh trying to to say anything bad about Power Rangers. It just, you know, it ain't for me. And we did have we we've at least recorded an episode that's just us talking about how much we like that Power Rangers movie. Flawed though it is. Man, I could talk for just another hour about that, but we're not going to do that because we're here to talk about a very good couple episodes of Zenkai Dream. Yeah, god, they really are. But as as ever we, you know, very few things are perfect. These are not. So let's let's talk about the the problems and nitpicks we had. Uh they're very close. I only had one problem, which is not even a huge problem. Um and it's just Sentai is generally a lot lighter in tone than Kamen Rider. Zenkaiger is a lot lighter in tone than even a lot of other Sentai. That's, yes, I, that is an accurate observation. So it felt a little weird and, like, tone whiplash when we go from everyone, just the general population, and even our heroes having goofy slip and fall on the ice 
to a car crash with a huge explosion and no real sense that that guy driving the car made it out alive. Uh, like, yes, yeah. realistically, that would be a consequence of sudden ice happening. But man, it yeah, felt very, that. very weird in a show that otherwise has not really seemed to have deadly consequences to most problems. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, that is a tonal weirdness that kind of permeates, but in this instance, it is a bit that hits weird. Because... Like I did have to give it a rewatch when when I saw you mention it in our in our outline notes and uh, yeah they really just do not let you pretend that that dude made it out alive huh I mean I guess you can we don't yeah, know one but... way or the other it's just we see him crash into another car and then we see some explosions from around a corner and I'm like uh -huh. that sure does go unresolved <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, though, I, like, I don't know if I'm happier that they just moved on from that. <laughs> like, oh, explosion. A anyway. Or if they, or if I'm happier that they just didn't make absolutely certain that we understood that someone had just died. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just, it was a very strange moment. And I'm like, y'all could have just kept with everyone slipping and falling on the ice. You did not need to show us this. Yeah, that's... I don't know what you would have used those four seconds for, but I'm sure you could have found something. You know you know what the answer to that would be? More pratfalls. Yeah. Just more pratfalls. Just do four more seconds of people falling on the ice. It's fine. I promise. Yeah, or, you know, just four seconds of cars sliding around and people being kind of panicked, but ultimately nothing bad happening. Because, like, look, I know how people drive on the ice... I've seen it. It doesn't matter where you're at. If there's ice on the road, someone is going to be very bad at driving on it. Whether it's sudden, like in this, or it's been there for weeks. Just, people can't drive on ice. It's not meant to be driven on. That's not what it's for. Anyway. It, it was just a very um, weird thing where I'm like, this is the only moment in this show that has been like this. Why is it here? Yeah, yeah it, it does stick out. But, um... I guess unless there's anything else, we can just talk about the stuff we enjoyed, which is uh, a lot more robust. Yeah, no, that was it. That was the only issue I had with these episodes. Um, the, and the opening shot of episode three is so good. Like, Magine is sitting alone, trying to divine her way to someone, anyone who knows her, tells us pretty much everything we need to know about her and how the episode will unfold in this one very quick little bite while building on the moments that we've seen from her in the first two episodes. Like, it's perfect. Yeah, it really is. Just, it's it's elegant, it's revelatory, and also it, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad we have someone in the story looking around for people they know because we've seen that it's a multiversal multiversal incursion and it seems like just a really big chunk of Kikaitopia just got shifted into Japan or possibly just the whole planet I don't know that'd be something 
kind of fun to explore at some point. But it's it's reasonable that you'd want to like look around and see if you can find people you knew, if only to make sure they're okay, to say nothing of like feeling kind of lonely because you are about as far away from home as you can get. Yeah, because it, like, in episode one, we saw her kind of panicked and confused about being in this new world on TV. And then in episode two, we just kind of see her on the side of the road telling fortunes for, like, food money. And um, based on this episode, she seems pretty young. She seems probably around Kaito's age. So I'm like, that's, that's girl, where's your family? the impression I got. Where's your family? Like, did, were you, like, on a trip and your home is not here? I mean, I, either that or, or she's, like, one of those kids who lives alone that used to be kind of a staple in a lot of Japanese media. I don't know. It, it's just a thing where I'm like, oh, of course you're looking for someone because you're you're confused and you're, you seem to be kind of homeless at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, which, whew, that's that's an extra level of intensity that I I do appreciate that they don't really dig into. Yeah, because it's it's fun for us over here to be like, oh wow, these are the deeper implications that they're that they're leaving for us. But like, I'm kind of glad they don't introduce that to a bunch of of like eight year olds. Yeah, the kids don't need that. Uh, Gowan learning to cook so that he can take care of the humans he lives with is very very cute. Yeah, I honestly that hanging having him in your house is like adopting a cat, because it's it's clearly less that he has been added to their home, and more that Gowan has a different place to lord over. And if he likes you, he will deign to ensure that you know how to catch mice or whatever. He's just he's a like, very that's... needy cat, which I can relate to. Um... And hey, like. He's a needy cat who's also willing to contribute, and that's that's even better. Yeah. I also love that, like, his kind of dislike of Zuran, or kind of, like, banter with Zuran extends to, like, he does not care if Zuran is praising him, he's still going to ignore him. Like, I, I don't want your praise, yes. I don't want anything, you're just not here to me. Like, I cannot wait to see the two of them bond in spite of themselves. Oh, it's seriously, it's gonna be so good, and it's it's really gonna feel earned. But honestly, I like you mentioned it, I, I do want to just circle back to just hey, I was praising you too, dude. <laughs> and Gowan just it's not even that he's saying like I don't care. He just he utterly ignores him and it is just such excellent comedy. And like, sure, it's not nice comedy because it sucks to be ignored but i mean first off it's also not mean comedy like the comedy is just just like hey everyone's trying to be nice to you and you're really kind of being a toolbox about it so i don't know it's it just it's a very good joke and also it's one of those things where if you didn't catch the previous episode and and like didn't get the video on demand or what have you guess what you are now caught up on Gowan's deal. Like, what is what is his deal vis-a-vis the rest of the of the crew? Now you know. That scene. Boom. A thing that really jumped out to me in these episodes in general is that Zenkaiger doesn't seem to have a proper ending song, which happened once before with Lupot, 
but in this case, they made the opening the dance song. Like, the opening is kind of a dance ending. And that's yes. kind of interesting. Because, like, dance endings have become such a standard for Sentai. They're such a staple at this point. Like, in the 2000s, they kind of alternated by year. Like, you know, you had, like, Decker Ranger and Maji Ranger were both dance endings, and then Bokenger wasn't, Geki Ranger was, Goanger didn't really have a dance, it was just a very energetic song. And then Shinken- did Shinkenger have, like, a dance? Or were they just yeah, there? Yeah, the, the Washoi. Yeah, I couldn't remember if they danced during I mean, it, that. It, it wasn't- it's not really a dance, but everyone is- yeah, okay. It's half a dance. Okay, and then, like, like if you wanted to, to, yeah, go on. Because then, like, Gosager doesn't, and then halfway through they change it to be a dance ending. It's the same song; they just do a remix, and now everyone dances to it. Oh. And then, like, Gokaiger isn't really a dance. It's they're just kind of. It just they're just there. Had the best ending. It's it's it so, it's very good. Ending. And then, like, they didn't, and then GoBusters did. And then, really, kind of, from Kyoryuger on, we kind of did dance endings pretty much every year. With the exception of Lupot, that didn't have one. And here, we don't have one, but they're just like, no, we need the dance, because the kids really like that. The kids really like the dance ending. But we, we don't have, like, an, an ending sequence for this one. Let's just stick it up front. Put the dance in the beginning. It's fine. It'll work out. And though, like, honestly, for my part, I I think that's a really smart idea, because why wait until the end of the show to get you to full power? Instead, it's, okay, cold open. Then it's just, hey, kids, what up? Time for Zenkaiger. Time to get hype. And then you're, you're, like, you get hype, you do the dance, then you sit down, and then you watch the... Then you watch the episode, which is going to get you hype, and then there's the monster fight, and then the episode ends on a cliffhanger, and then it's time to check out what's happening next time. Holy crap! And you get excited again. Yeah. So like, like honestly, the balance of how and when the show is trying to get you excited, just on a structural basis, is very impressive to me. Also, uh, just because we haven't mentioned the the opening. Uh, beside like until now, and even now we're just kind of talking about it that it's the dance opening. Um, also the song is pretty good. I don't I don't know that it's gonna be one of the the big better bests out there, but it's it's a solid opening. Like from the moment those those robot dro- voices drop in, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is good. And then the then the actual song starts up, and it's like. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, it's, it's, it does, you know, it's it gets me hyped up every or time. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's a solid 4 out of 5. Yeah, I mean, it's... Maybe 4.5. There's a part of me that is like, this is just a dance ending, but you put it at the front. And I'm like, that's fine. I Like, I don't have a problem with that. It's just, it's it's got a very different energy than a lot of opening themes. Um, which isn't a problem. Yeah, it really does. Again, like, it's a very good energy. It always gets me excited for the show. It's not one that I would skip, but it, it, does, no, it feels honestly, very I... much to me like they did take the dance ending and put it at the front. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess they just didn't want to do a second song. Which, you know, 
that's fine as far as it goes. I do really like uh, Barashida chatting with the monster of the week about how he thought the gears were kind of a dumb idea and that Ijirud was j wasting his time. But since Ijirud's not here, he can kind of acknowledge, like, these are actually pretty useful, and I kind of like this plan. <laughs> like, he clearly won't say it to his face, because as soon as he's back at the base, he com immediately, like... Bokawas is like, hey, what do you think of this? And he's like, it's dumb. I'm strong enough already. Just let me do the thing. After he had already said he thought they were useful. And even at the end of the episode, he says the Zenkaijers have impressed him to himself as he stomps off. Never to their face. It's just this very neat oh, little character thing that kind of gives him some depth. He can admit that he was wrong in his ideas, just not to the person's face. Yeah, which... Like, I want to hate on that as a, as a villain thing, but I, I can't. He's honestly one of the least toxic bad guys we've had in a while, while still having all of these really ugly habits. Which, you know, that's that's kind of neat. I, I honestly kind of hope he and Ijirud can make it out of this alive and, and maybe have a face turn. Yeah, just... I don't know, I just... They have good character. Like, not even a full face turn, just go full go on your with it, where it's just like, I don't know, man, we just... I don't know, this is just what we did. We didn't know anything. We're f Can we just go somewhere else? Just put us in a dimension? Yeah, we, um... We're just opting to not do this anymore. Look, you killed you killed Bokawaus. Uh, he was the guy who signed my checks. <laughs> That's all I cared about, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll leave. Peacefully. We'll be fine. Like, we've, we've just got some really neat villains this year, and I'm very here for using the kind of goofy slapstick tone of this much lighter show to be able to round the villains out a little more. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's gotta be one of the things Kimura's doing really well compared to her previous baddies. Because these ones, like, we're keeping the horror of, of the invasion and conquest on the down low, because... Like, yeah, they're pleasantly silly and sort of stumbling into this whole being Sentai villains thing, which means that we don't have to spend all the time, like, setting up, ah, oh, yes, they're so grim and scary. And instead, like, we just let what they're doing speak for itself, almost irrespective of their personalities. Because, like, like you, like you say, like, or at least as you're kind of pointing out, Barashita's not a horrible dude on a one-to-one -one level. Like, we've seen him talk to the hero. Like, we've seen him talk to Kaito, and he's not like, Oh, you foolish flesh creature, I will destroy you! It's just, hey man, you, you can't fight me. <laughs> you, you can't fight me. I'm, I'm Barashita. Like, you, what are you gonna do? So, like, on, on like a person-to-person -person level, he's probably not that bad but at the same time he's still a guy who will invade your home and murder a lot of people if he gets that order and while it might be a little weird to make that guy seem silly that silliness is countered by the fact that he is still absolutely the bad guy there's there's some real banality of evil stuff going on here and a part of me keeps wondering if that's not also arguably a part of the Kimura Junko brand. It kind of is. Because, yeah, because, like, Genis... Genis is, like, the most exaggerated, boring version of the banality of evil. 
Because why is he evil? Oh, because he wants just to have something to do. And then you have the gangler who, like, why are they evil? Well, they're trying to impress some guy, which, like, when you stop and think about it, is the most horrible reason to do what they do. And this one is just, okay, why is this guy bad? Well, in his day-to-day -day life, he's probably not that bad, but yeah, he will go and invade stuff because his boss told him to. He's, he's which, part of a bad society. Honestly, I, I am kind of fascinated to see where she's going to take this. Or if I'm just making it up, but it's it's if I'm if I'm inserting my own interests into this, that's fine. I'll keep projecting onto it. Goodness knows we kept the uh, the uh, the ten and twelve watch on uh, Zio ten and two rather so much longer than it God, actually I, could have been there. I that was Even the only the thing so keeping me invested in Gates as a character. <laughs> it's all there yeah, was. No. Yeah. And then when it's like, oh, yeah, but that's not actually there. It's like, oh. Oh, well, we don't care. It's like, anymore. oh, I, I really don't see the point of him as a person in this show then. Oops. Um, anyway, I also really love the first fight against the ice monster and how everyone, heroes and villains alike, just had no idea how to cope with the ice and were just all on their butts immediately. Like, yes. one, it was very, very funny slapstick. It was just, it was very well yes. done slapstick. Um, but it also really added to this being, hey, this is a very raw elemental power that the villains can use, but don't really understand and can't really control. Ice is ice no matter who is standing on it. Mm. Which really makes me wonder if at some point we won't have a, a monster from, like, I don't know, Explosions World, or the Elemental Plane of Fire, or what have you, who just gets a power and just immediately there's no more monster because he just blew up. Though, like, now I say that, do you think the Tojitendo will ever find the worlds that have the various Super Sentai in them? Because if, as is discussed in, in these episodes, the hero's powers are just based on, or otherwise derived from the original teams, does that mean we'll eventually see our heroes free some of the other Super Sentai? Because, like, look, we mentioned Zio just now, I realize I'm basically just setting the stage for a, a monster who is another Sentai, but, like, in fairness, the Another Riders were the best freaking part of Zio, and such a brilliant idea generally. And, look, give me a weird, evil robot version of a Sentai. You can't tell me that wouldn't be awesome. Though, like, I'm saying that, and I'm probably shooting my shot way too early for the second time in as many episodes, but can that be where we get our sixth? Like, they, they try to embody one of the, the, the Sentai worlds... And that just becomes our sixth. Because, you know, the power of Super Sentai will overpower any amount of evil. That's just how this goes. It's true. But also that would mean that the sixth is a common rider who is made of Super Sentai. Which, I don't know, that's pleasantly meta for me. And I'm a big old nerd. 
I mean, we do see the world, the, like, various Super Sentai worlds getting stuffed into Gears at the beginning of the show, so I guess that's not impossible. Um, either that or the Gears that the team has are the actual Sentai worlds, and the parents stuffed them in there to keep the power out of Toji Tendo hands? Maybe? I mean, look, that would be pretty sick if that's the case. And, like, also not impossible given some of the information we'll get to at the end of the of episode four huh yeah like that's kind of what got me wondering a little bit yeah i mean look i'm here for it either way because like hey we couldn't figure out how to bust them out but we turned the gears into something that you could use in their name i i mostly just like that his parents are just giant sentai nerds that's just that's a clever thing to me I love that. Um, so I'm assuming this has to do with Mabushina's popularity last year, but I thought it was a very cute detail that not only does Majine cry, like, tears, there are also just little gears among them. So cute. Yeah. Honestly, I hope that as we get more non-human characters who cry, they they do have them, like, cry out weird things. I just think that's fun. Also, I'm very happy to hear that Mabushina was popular. She deserves to be. She's really great. I mean, I'm assuming she was. She did get some physical merchandise. Did she? Uh, like some keychains and stuff. Look, like, there are a lot of people who don't get keychains, so... Yeah. But, I mean, look, all the new characters can't be Naki. Yeah, I mean, look. That's... that's... That, look, that's, that's a bar too high for most characters to go. I just, I'm just constantly very happy, for you personally, Sono, that Naki got so much good merch. God, yeah. They, they got, they got a Figuarts. I'm still so happy about that. Oh, one day, one day Naki will come home to me. <sighs> I hope soon. Anyway. Um, having Majine be a kid from Zuron's neighborhood is just such a great little character thing. It's so mm. good. It's one less relationship they need to build, because every kid knows their, like, cool neighbor who babysits them sometimes, or who will watch the kids in the neighborhood when they're playing outside. So, like, it's just really easy to instantly know what these two are about. And since we're taking four episodes to put this team together, which is a lot of time, it's one less mm. dynamic that we have to establish. And yes. it's also really nice not having every single kikainoid be a stranger to one another like that makes that world feel like one that existed and had a society before it came here because these are two people who already know each other yeah it, it just it really feels very natural and at the same time very explanatory of who these people are because just as hey it turns out Juron is exactly the dude we thought he was. A really cool older dude. And it, it builds both her and Juron in such a quick and effective way to confirm, again, everything we thought about older guy Juron while giving us all this information from Majine in relation to him and what he thinks of her, etc, etc, etc. It's really cleverly done and it's very elegant. I also really like that Zuran kind of has this idea of who Majine is in his head, 
based on remembering her being this kind of very shy kid. And also that he's kind of protective of her. Like, he doesn't want her initially to join the team. So it's like, hey, we are fighting basically the president. We are fighting the whole robot government with guns. This is way too dangerous for this kid that lived next door to me that I basically remember as being a seven-year-old even though she now is, like, 20. And, you know, and then there's the fact that she is that. She is this kind of shy, nervous, very feminine girl, but she's also not that. Um, and having her have these other aspects very quickly brings a lot of depth to her character because she's more than what she is presented to us as. Like, yes, she's very shy and very anxious, but she's incredibly passionate about her hobbies, and she'll stand up for herself, and she'll take the risk if she thinks she can reach the reward she wants, which is generally just being liked by people. And, like, honestly, we are going to stick a pin in that, because, boy, her passion for the art of divination is a thing I love so much about her, and the fact that in this episode we get to see her flip that switch from... Oh, okay, so yeah, you're very chill and shy until you aren't, and I love that about her. And it's, Kaito responds to that other side of her like immediately. Like, he likes fortunes, she likes fortunes, cool, we're friends now. Even if you don't want to be a Zenkaiger, like, we can still be friends. And I love that she seems to be. We, we talked last time about Gaon as kind of this this interesting take on Gal Ranger because he's he loves animals but he doesn't have the life experience to be a veterinarian and I just I love Majine as this take on both Urara and Hoka and kind of just the the women of Maji Ranger in general Maji Ranger's got a surprisingly large and diverse female cast um but she, like, she's got Aurora's crystal ball reading gimmick, and on the surface, she's kind of reserved and not as social as Aurora. But she's also got kind of Aurora's very unexpected ferocity. But once she kind of is comfortable and gets going, she's a lot more social than she seems, and she's very whimsical and uses her actual magic in a way that's much more in line with how Hoka did things. Um, so she she feels very much like the Ozu sisters working together as one character in a way that I really like. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the episode being the one where she becomes a Magi Ranger and there's ice everywhere. That that's just even more appropriate. Yeah, you know that's that's the nice nod to Miyuki. Uh, Magi Ranger has such a has a much larger cast of women that I realized now that I'm thinking about it. You've got the sisters, you've got Miyuki, you've got uh, Rin, you've got the, like, goddess of Majitopia, you've got Vankuria, you've got uh, Sphinx and Gorgon later in the show. It's got a very yeah, like, large and diverse female cast. Yeah, like, you, you don't get to see them all at once very often, but like they're all there, and they're all these very interesting characters, and they've got their own thing, and I, I love that. Um, the montage of everyone sledding around to the different locations in the city was very cute. 
um, I I adore the bit in the haunted house where Gaon just loves humans so much that even this ghost, he's just like, yo, new human just dropped. <laughs> I want to check this out. Hold on. Let's chill here a minute. New human. Yeah. Yo, you guys ever seen a ghost before? What's up, Ghost Chan? Let's talk. <laughs> but also, I love that during that bit, like, we find out that some of the details on the gown suit are actually functional. Like, he has built-in lights. I don't know why, but I love that. That's so cool. Because he's a cat, so having some built-in lights makes it easier for him to see in the dark. You know, that does make sense. I just, I don't know why, but I was just so tickled by that. Okay, so I'm gonna... Just the little reminders that, yes, they're all, they're all machine people. Okay, so I'm gonna pull out that pin, because I adore when Gowan is like, yo, your hobby's dumb. I was, ha I was doing this because I wanted to hang out with Kaito, but this is dumb. Can we just stop? And Majine just destroys him. Like, sure, he can call her not good at it. She knows that. Like, it's just a thing she does for fun and maybe pocket money. He, whatever. She knows she's not good at it. But she's not gonna let this uneducated punk insult what she enjoys or that she enjoys it. Like, she leads with, where do you get off talking down to someone about their hobbies? And like, heck yeah, girl, drag him. Heck yeah! Don't let anyone push you around for what you're into. She stands up for her cool hobby that helps her reach out to people in spite of her anxiety, and I love that. Yeah, she just tears him up for being such a toolbox about it. And, and seriously, like, on top of her giving what is, I dare say, the objectively correct response to someone giving you crap for enjoying this thing that, like, makes you feel better and doesn't hurt anyone and honestly is just good, I, they also use it to do some world building and show you how incredibly serious she is about this. Like, the little details, like, she has these three for other fortune tellers that she brings up, and it just puts such a smile in my face in that moment, because, I mean, like, I don't know what everyone listening to this has been into, but if you've ever been passionate about any sort of a thing, you learn about the people who make it what it is, and if you're a practitioner of that thing on any level, you you learn from them, you idolize them, you follow them. They become important to you, at least as figures, if not as actual people. And, like, there are reasons we want to at least be aware of who's doing these things, because it's nice to see who the heck it is we're filtering things through. That's why, like, we talk about the writers and directors on these shows, just because it's it's interesting to track their progress and see what they do. Zenkaiger becomes so much more interesting when you look at it in the context of other Junko Kimura Sentai. It just it does. It just flat out does. But even besides that, like, if you're a painter, you have opinions about different methods of painting, and who's better than who. What methods or schools or or Philosophical, philosophical approaches to it are your favorites, and so on. Like, I've never actually, like, gotten anything published, as, like, from my stint trying to write comic books, but yo, 
I spent a while trying to write comic books. I could go on for a month about what I do and do not like in my monthly 20-page floppies. Yeah. It's just... That's that's a thing I can do now because I spent a while practicing it in a very, like, serious, focused way that, sure, it didn't pan out because... But the thing is, your passion is beautiful and it is never wasted and it's not about being good at it. It's about just becoming a larger person by learning about the world around you in some way. Sorry, I, I go off on tears because I love artistic expression. And it's just, I, I really love how Kaito responds to that. Because it's just, yeah. yeah, who cares if the fortune is right or wrong as long as you've taken that information and tried to do something good with it with your life. Like, yeah, don't take fortunes too seriously. Don't live your whole life by them. But it doesn't seem like Majine is doing that. It's just, there's no harm in enjoying them for fun and using them to give yourself a little nudge in the direction you want to go, which is how she approaches it. Yeah, because, I mean, as they point out in the show, and as is true, at least in my experience with them, most divination methods without fail, will help you make sense of what you really want to do. And I just, I love that that's a big message in the episode. I also really love baby Majine in the little sweatshirt and sundress. That was so incredibly cute. Yeah, like, that, they did so much in just that little flashback, man. And and it's just one more great bit of costume design in a show that, frankly, is already full of great costume design. Yeah, it really is. Also, I love the little, like, robot flower. Like, they very co- easily yeah. could have given her a whole robot flower, like, a whole flower, just a normal one. But they designed a whole prop for that scene. Yeah, I really hope we c- we come back to it, because I, I really like that robot flower. And if that's a done-in-one prop, like, hats off to the prop department and to Toei for once just letting people make a prop. <laughs> I also adore Kaito being like, Ice Age, never heard of it. And everyone has to like stop and be like, wait, wait, how do we explain an Ice Age to this kid? This was way more of an impact on your planet than ours. Yeah, no kidding. Like, on top of being very funny, it was just a great way to stall for time while Majine kind of figured her stuff out and kind of had her little moment with the memory and built up her courage to want to go join the team. And honestly, I, I realize, again, if it was done with any less skill, I would probably be very annoyed at it, but I love that she needed that kind of time. Because there's, there's this whole thing she'd had going on, and you mentioned it earlier, about how she wasn't suited for all the physical combat and the fighting, and she's not. that's why she didn't want to join the team at first, and that made her coming out with her cool magician form feel that much more impressive. Because she wasn't certain, but she did it anyway, and it was extra brave because she was afraid for a good reason. <laughs> also, like, I appreciate that they gave her a new kind of comedy that was a bit more of an unexpected thing when she gets the gun. Because, like, she's she's looking at it, trying to figure out how it works, and then it goes off. Like, I admit, the laughs here were less about, oh, that's brilliant timing, and more like... Wow, she almost shot herself, and that is why you don't play with guns, kids. <laughs> I'm in danger. Like it was a bit more like shock. Yeah, 
Yeah, like, it was a shocked and manic laugh as opposed to an amused one, but look, in fairness to them, they got the laugh, so... It's like, so... look, I gotta give Shimazono the credit for that, because, like, the way that she froze up, there was so much <laughs> expressiveness to how she is just like, nope, I am not moving. If I don't move, it will not do that again. <laughs> Yeah, and just like how such... physically shaken she was. Yeah, which, you know, understandable. She just. She. Like, the best case scenario is she almost took her eye out. The worst case scenario is. Mm, this is a, this is a kid's show. Never mind. That, like, that worst case scenario won't happen, but jeez. Um, in, in lighter news, though, uh. I love that that during the big fight, the the weather lady, who was giving out horoscopes at the start of the episode, gets to pop up, just for a sec, to pay off the whole "Hey, you won't slip up today" thing, uh, just near the end of the fight. Just just her popping in for like what three frames to just give a wink and and basically a thumbs up, as as sort of a "Hey, told ya," like. That had me howling. <laughs> because, again, the comedic timing on this show is next level. It really is. Like, that was such a great way to tie the episode together. Yeah, which, like, it was already a tight episode, and they just said, ah, it can be a little better, even. Wow. Also, I love the Magine dragon. Like, one, girl gets to be a dragon, and that just rocks. But I'm also just super fond of Maji Dragon in general. And of course that's what they're going to reference for like her big solo quote-unquote vehicle form. Because why wouldn't they? It's the thing that they do before they become the robot. It's their kind of midway between being Maji Rangers and being the robot is Maji Dragon. So it's, it's literally what this is. But also like I love to see it because I love Maji Dragon. And also yeah. Heck yeah, girl, be a dragon. I mean, honestly, life goals. Yeah, mood. Also, like, just last thing, at least on my side, um, when she's doing her magic, I love that her her big attack, besides the one where she's magic dragon, she keeps turning the guy into a snow cone. <laughs> that, was, that was really cute. But I just, I like that one of her big attacks involves summoning up her favorite fortune tellers, or at least simulacra of said fortune tellers to do attacks that were based on their distinct fortune telling styles because i don't remember them all off the top of my head but i i remember yeah the spark reading of this guy and that's the one who does the electricity attack it just that was so good Magine rules so hard she really does and like that Especially with the, like, hiding them under the cups, and then this, the, like, turning the dude into yes. a snow cone. That really felt very Hoka to me. That felt very much like her kind of whimsical transformation magic. And I really hope that we get to see Majine getting to, like, be wild and passionate and sometimes really stand up for herself if she's angry, and still getting to do these very whimsical magic spells... Because um, it's just such a cool aspect of her personality that she kind of has this very multifaceted way of doing things. I really, I really love it. And I, it just makes me want to see one of the bad guys talk to her face about how magic is dumb. And for her to just 
basically wreck an entire battalion or carrier craft or whatever because how dare yeah, just, just whap him in the face just whap him in the face with her stick I just basically I just want the the meme of the shonen anime uh, except instead of the the bad guy talking about how friendship sucks it's just this just the bad guy saying yeah magic sucks and she'll just appear out of nowhere the heck did you say about magic and then just it's over for that guy honestly that is still one of my favorite summations of just the shonen aesthetic anyway uh moving on i i feel like that's it for episode three what what's up in four okay i love that we start this episode with room being confused and seemingly concerned about why worlds are being freed because the way he talks, it seems like he's kind of been on board with the villains and what they're doing. But we know from the opening and the fact that he's shaped like a Bokenger robot that he's gonna be our blue. Um, so this sets up this very interesting question of how these two things square with each other. As we, as we talk about this, I'm very sorry for a, a mild tangent, but I'm realizing he's basically just Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Like, he's, he's this janitor who's got a lot more going on with him, trying to get into a place that'll give his brain what it needs, but is kept out because the world around him just isn't made for people like him to get to be, you know, people. So, I don't know, there's just a lot of cool subtext going on in Zenkaiger about class and opportunity and, and, and stuff like that. It adds so much to every episode. Zenkaiger is really good at starting episodes in a really engaging way, and I hope Komura and the whole writing team, because I can't imagine Komura's going to be writing every episode, but I hope that every, like, I hope the show can keep that up, because every episode starts in just this absolutely perfect way. Yeah, it, and look, that is a tall order, but Seriously, with how hard Kimura levels up between seasons, I would not be surprised if they can pull it off. Because if she's the head writer, she at least gets to say, no, I want this one to open like this. And then just let other people go. I don't know. I just... I, I really hope they can pull it off, because... I, I did not think Kimura Junko was going to be one of the, the all-timers, but here we are. Just wonder what's going to happen if and when they, they bring in... Oh, who's the other one? The double K names. Oh, Kaneko Kauri. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God, who knows? What's gonna happen then? Who knows? Because, like... Yeah. Is... is Will this be the other shoe dropping that we were waiting for all throughout those last few bits of Kira Major? God, I hope not. <laughs> Me too. I just... I would really Please like it if Kaneko Kaori... Keep Kaneko Kaori away from Gaon. Please. Yeah, oh, it is, it, yes. It, oh, no. Gaon could so easily go the way of, of Kaneko Kaori's Leo, and I do not want that because, like, Leo we were always kind of on the fence about. Gaon has, seems like he could have a really interesting character arc about growing up and, like, relating to people, and I, I just... I don't want it to go badly. Yeah, say oof. Anyway, let's let's banish that horrific thought with um I I just I do want to touch back on that earlier thing where the bad guys are that mix of silly but also kind of scary and villainous. 
because there is that whole bit where Room is explaining to Ichirud, like, hey man, are, are we letting worlds go now? Because I saw them get released from the gears after they got smashed, so, like, what's up? And I just, I love that bit where Ichirud's like, hey, um, you tell anyone else about this? And when the answer is no, it's it's not like a chill thing where, you know, he'd be a silly guy. He's like, well, you know, we'll keep it to ourselves. And, and then it's, you know, then it would become like a whole slapstick thing. He's still a villain and actually a very competent one because his answer is, oh, good, then I only have to murder you. <laughs> and like, hey, Ijirud, can you chill for like a second, though? Please, sir. Like, like, again, it's it's that I really enjoy the juxtaposition of the fact that the villains are silly, but also incredibly evil. <laughs> Which, hey, good. Again, Kamura Junko gave them two personality traits. Yeah. All of them get two personality traits. That's that's great. Yeah. No, that's that's two more than anyone in Zuoger ever had. Hmm. In the villains. I, okay, in the villains. I think the only... I think the only villain who doesn't have, like, a second personality trait is just Gege. Yeah. Because as near as I can tell, that one's just evil bird. Yeah, I, he is just yeah, I, hyper-competent evil bird. He is the only one. He is the one in the room with the brain cell. Yeah. But, you know, he, he at the same time, he's an adorable little bird who's not actually the king. So, I don't know. Maybe there is some extra stuff going on there. Yeah, I, we'll see. Anyway, we should... Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I really want to know what's up with the bird. <laughs> That's how good they got me. I want to know what's up with the bird. Um, okay, so I'm sure that... Because it feels like the bird has something. Anyway, go on. Okay, so I'm sure that this is mostly because they cannot show a random dude physically punching a random lady on a children's television show. Um, even in the context of a sport fight like boxing... But I do love both the bride and the idol just absolutely dominating any fight they get into. And I do think part of it is the comedy of the juxtaposition of boxing champion with bride and boxing champion with idol. But I think also part of it is, yeah, we, like, can't have a dude punch a lady in the face on a children's show. Yeah. But, you know, all the same, like, that's a spinoff I'd watch. Idol and Bride. Boxing queen. There was also a nun like you, at you the end. Look, I'm just saying, that stuff would own. Also, like, knowing that Mr. Sue used to be the man in the first Godzilla suit I ever got to see on a big screen just makes all of his his bits just that much more funny for me. I mean, look, if you want a man in his 70s to do those, like, boxing stunts that Mr. Sue did... That's the dude to get. Also, I love that they just basically gave him, like, his own name as his character name. Because <laughs> Mr. Sue, instead of Mr. Sue. Yeah. That's, that's great. What a, what a cool dude. <laughs> I love that they got him back for this. And just, the comedic timing of the whole episode is so good. Like, getting the, the fight all ready to start, everyone's ready to do the henshin, and then Vroom just kind of runs through the middle, chased by the mooks, and everyone has to just kind of stop for a second, like, is 
is is this part of the plan? Is he with you? Is this something else we've got to deal with? Like, that is the peak of Sentai comedy. And then, like, having... And they just, you know, they pick back up, but Vroom and the mooks are still running through the back. Like, I feel like that should have killed the joke, but it doesn't. And when you have that, like, slowed down second of Vroom seeing the Sentai years, it sets up for what his actual deal is in the rest of the episode. It's a great moment. It really is, because it's... It's it's clever and legitimately funny, but it's also got all these layers. Like, we don't have to undercut anyone's anything to make this moment work. We just let these stories crash into one another and let the camera or, or just the tone of the scene feel as confused as the characters. Because I feel like if, if we had been allowed to feel like we were in on the joke... Like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, we're above this, or... Yeah, you know, we saw this coming. Unlike these stupid Sentai members. Like, that would have killed it. But it's just... It's the whole world of the show. Just sort of, like, looking back at the audience and just asking, What is happening? And it's just that feeling where you, like, even the people making the show don't know what's coming next even though like yeah clearly they do but they feel like they don't and that sells it so hard yeah the self-aware humor of this show is just it's done so well because i'm self-aware humor is not always my favorite thing but it it can be real bad but the the way that it's handled in this show is just constantly funny and constantly good like keep Komura on these fun light-hearted shows she does so much better her writing feels so much tighter and more natural and like she's having a really good time with it than it did on Zuoja and Lupat and I love those shows but I feel like this is really where Komura shines this is the writing that comes easy to her yeah it it really feels that way. And like we were talking about before we started recording, she did do episodes of Akiba Ranger. Hey, heck, we talked about it on mic too, didn't we? But anyway, so, but just seeing her get to flex those Akiba Ranger muscles again just really reminds you how sad it is that, honestly, that series didn't continue because I feel like in these trying times, having having the Akiba Rangers have become an official Sentai is, is the sort of thing that we all needed. Like, that would be a balm to all of our souls. But, just seeing her get to flex these muscles again, just, it makes it sad that in those other series, between her writing and the... It, sorry, I'm, I'm having all these feelings, but just all, in all those other series, she didn't get to flex this amazingly powerful muscle of hers. Because between her writing and the director and the editor's timing of those beats in this show, like, this show is consistently, viciously funny. Because, like, look, I, I never quite got into Car Ranger, even though it's on paper basically exactly the thing I want, which is, you know, hey, let's have, let's have a send-up of some Sentai, that's great. 
but this feels like it's its spiritual success successor in so many ways or at least again as as far as all of the things i've heard about car ranger you know it, it's hitting those potential thematic and and comedic beats at minimum Zenkaidra feels like a very refined version of the humor in Goanger, which was fun, but didn't always land because it was it was a little too wacky sometimes, um, or a little too non sequitur. Yeah. But again, Komura got her start on Goanger. I mean, I I couldn't say very deep about Goanger because I didn't get very far in it, but I mean, it is like you bring that up and it. It just highlights that the frequency with which things actually land on this show, even just in these first four episodes, is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and I love that Vroom, immediately after Boxing World says that the details of the plan are on a need-to-know basis, is just hurling himself as a civilian into mi- the middle of this fight, being like, yo, but I want to know, though. Tell me I need to know. Which... Like, it makes him the best team member on a show that is already filled with the best team members. Honestly, I admire how whatever Kikainoid is the focus of any given moment is just somehow the best Kikainoid ever in forever. Vroom could easily be obnoxious with his rapturous curiosity, but they they know how to play him just right, and it makes him amazing. It's so good. I love seeing him go. I also just really adore the moment of the whole team picking him up and running off. Um, it's it's a very neat inversion on the way a villain will sometimes run off in the middle of a fight to regroup, and kind of how Boxing World did try to run off in the middle of the fight with Vroom, and they were just like, nope, we're doing it. And it's, it's just a thing that we almost never see from the heroes. Yeah, it's true. But, I mean, again, it's, it is regrouping. But I also like that it's they're protecting this civilian. Because even if he's going to be a member of the team, he doesn't know that yet. And, and they're just treating him like this guy who's got a target on his back. And that's that's an extra level of, of fun. Because, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not contradicting you. So no, I'm not trying to say, like, oh, they, I'm sorry. I think you'll find they didn't retreat because they totally did. But it's it just has that extra level to it that is really fun. And... Honestly, I feel like more Sentai could use to to have reasons to dip out of a fight in the middle. Just because I'd rather I'd rather see that occasionally than just the bad guys always like, oh, sorry, I forgot I left the oven on. Even though I'm winning, I'm gonna leave. All right, all right, back in twenty. I I also love Vroom as this very weird take on Akashi. Uh, now just point of order. Some folks might not have, might not know who Akashi is. Uh, he is Boken Red. Uh, Satoru Akashi, Boken Red, my spiritual husband. <laughs> I love, him. I love Akashi. He's my I mean, favorite. He's red. great. He's so great. Um, and Vroom is this very, very weird take on him. Like after Gowan and Majine being takes on their respective shows, I was curious with what we had seen of Vroom in the first two episodes and in the opening, kind of as this this kind of weird, clumsy janitor, 
how they really capture what Bokenger is about. And Bokenger wasn't afraid to be silly, and look, they dunked on Akashi with regularity. They were not afraid to to poke fun at him. There was the, there was a whole episode where he dresses super doofy. <laughs> they cover I, him I, in I good love... luck charms. But they like they poke fun at him all the time. No one on his team they all respect him as their leader, but none of them take him seriously. Um, but it, I was really curious to see how they'd reconcile what we had seen of Vroom with that. But seeing him in action, like, it's perfect. Everything is new to him in this world. Every physical item is a precious. Every new thing he can learn is an adventure for him. Vroom will go anywhere and do anything, regardless of how bad of an idea it may be. Like, you know, busting into the hall of the corrupt government and being like, yo, I'll clean your stuff for you if I can watch you do this thing. Like, that's the most Akashi thing I've ever heard. All he was was bad ideas in order for him to learn about a thing. I mean, look, it's it's not the angle I think anyone saw coming, but yeah, that is so deeply in the spirit of Bokenji. It is, and again, like, everyone on that team respects Akashi as a leader. None of them take him seriously, and the only reason they get anything done is because Boken Pink is there. If any of the planning was left up to Satoru Akashi, they would never get anything done because someone would be like, yo, there's a weird bird in South America, and he'd be like, drop everything, we're going to Brazil. But what about this thing we're doing? I've seen that one. I want to see this bird. I love Bokendra. Yeah, Bokendra's great. What's not to love? Um, also... Just because I'm not sure this is something that is very easily picked up upon unless you're familiar with how sounds work in the Japanese language, um, V and B are the same sound. Uh, they, they don't have a proper V sound, so they use B. So his name is Vroom, but it would be said the same as Broom. It's, it's pronounced identically. <laughs> because they're the same letter. And I think that is so clever with how they have set him up as a janitor, but how he's just got so much more going on under the hood. Well, to sort of take that that bit of wordplay and run with it, the dude might not officially be a Transformer, but he is a robot who turns into a dump truck, and is clearly more, much more, than meets the eye. I love that he's the stupid dump truck, and that he has the shovel... And the pick that turn into the sword. I love the des- y'all. I love the designs in Bokenger. They're so clever for what that show is, and I I love it. I love how much of that has carried into Vroom. Uh, but also because Vroom, I also just really like that Vroom does seem to genuinely just enjoy cleaning as a thing. It's just a thing he likes to do. Like, he gravitates toward a cleaning book at the library, and it's the skill he used to, like, get into the Tojitendo base. And he uses that impulse to start clearing out the boxing rings and the robot fights, and then at the end he's happily cleaning up the candy store for Yatsude. Like, everyone, like, gathers into the doorway to the actual house to, like, watch him clean the candy store. It's, it's very cute. Yeah. 
he's I love him so much already, and I love that everyone is defined by these passions. It's just I I love them all so much, and because this is his episode, I I love Vroom in particular. Also, like you you mentioned the the library. I just, I love seeing his absolute joy at discovering what a library is. And that just, that puts such a smile on my face. Because anything you want to know, and it's just there. And anyone can read up on basically any subject. That, that really is very beautiful. I do hope we get and to see alone, him hanging out at the library. Right? That'd be so good. And, like, that alone should be reason enough to support your local library. But if you ever go and learn about the myriad other services your local library can offer, from research to internet access for people without computers, to ebook services, to just being able to offer warm space on a cold day. You'll see that there are very wonderful places on top of being filled with many, many books that you can put into your brain. Um, they're an important public investment, and don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise, because if they do try to tell you otherwise, they're probably trying to sell you something that will make your life worse. This this message brought to you by Aleph really is passionate about libraries as a public service. The more you know. Seeing Vroom stand up for himself was also very, very sweet and good and cathartic. Kind of in the same way as Magine standing up for herself. But also because up until that moment, from episode one until right then, we have only seen Vroom get pushed around. He gets ignored and yelled at and shot at and disposed of. No one on the team other than Kaito seems to really be that invested in helping him out. But he has seen how great the world is and how many things there are that he can learn about and that there are people that want to help him learn and learn with him. And then he just, he's like, no. This is what I want. And he doesn't just want to be protected. He doesn't just want to run away and let them handle this. He is going to make the dude who bullied him know his name. And he's not going to let anyone else, even entire other worlds, be bullied by this guy any longer. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And then there's that bit where he just throws out the respect that he puts on that dude's name. And honestly, on all these dudes' name. Like, there is no more respect gonna be put on them. And and it's one of those things where like, I know we've had the discussion uh, on mic, off mic, all over the place about the use of honorifics in translation. And like, Overtime did a good job translating with like, ah, Professor Ijirud. No, actually, just Ijirud. But like once you once you understand how the the honorifics what what they get across and what their lack gets across like just just when you're hearing him just go like okay Ijirud Sama no no just just Ijirud like that got me cheering over here because yeah this dude does not deserve your respect Vroom heck yeah for just making sure he knows hey. I used to respect you. I do not now, because you suck. G good on you, dude. I also adore that, you know, we've had these this running gag of everyone getting the gun and immediately shooting it. Like, we've done it four times. 
but because Vroom is so curious and his first priority is learning, when he's handed it, he asks how to use it first and fires second instead of the other way around with everyone else. Because he's, of course, he would be the one to ask. And it's it's such a brilliant character beat and subversion of expectation. Because, like, as soon as he gets handed the gun, you're like, uh? And then he does the smart, responsible thing. Okay, this thing is weird and not very intuitive. How do we do? Like, that's that's great. And look, I'm not really a gun guy, but even I know that it's a really smart idea to learn how a gun works before you start waving it around. So good on you, Vroom. Way to set a good example for the kids at home. And I know we mentioned last time how we'd love to see Vroom get to do the Akashi snap, and I'm just, I'm so incredibly thrilled that they've incorporated it into the roll call pose. So it's, we get to see that just every time. Because yeah. it's something so iconic to Bokenger to the point that the figure arts Boken Red has a hand for it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. Amazing. Um, and, like, that's the best place to include it, because, again, it's such an iconic thing. It's so core to the imagery of that show. Well, all, all we know is that Vroom got that go-go power. Was, he knows what's I love going. that he's like, okay, what's a Bokenger, though? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what I that mean, means, but okay... Please tell me when yeah, we have I mean, a minute. I, I got that rumbling power, I, I guess. <laughs> you can explain this to me, right? Okay. Ah, uh, see, it's a shame that this does not take place in the same world as uh, Gokaiger. Because he could just he could just go and hit up uh, Ikari Guy's super, handmade Super Sentai encyclopedia. Well, I mean, if, if Aka Red shows up... He could let him borrow the Super Sentai address book. Please. Man, that's gotta be a net movie. Please, Toei. Please, oh please. Please. I need this. You owe me this. It's true. They do. Um, but Majina using her magic to convince everyone under the boxing spell that they were between rounds was so good. Because, like, they can't attack them. They're civilians. So she turned the boxing magic back against them. Like, oh no, you can't fight right now. We're between the bells. We're between the bells. That's the rules. Like, that's so clever. Also, this means that Majine has her own mooks. And I really hope that that's a thing that keeps coming back. Because I'd love to see how she uses her weird little shadow mages in other scenarios. Honestly, just all of them having little witch hats... And also there was that banana peel earlier that had a, a yes! witch hat as well. That was so good. That, that was very Hoka, because she always, she would transform into things and it would have the, the little fairy symbol. Oh, it's just, it's so cute and fun. And look, if you're going to have a magician in your, at least for the moment, comedic series of uh, Zenkai Sentai send-ups, you might as well use the the magician to do some looney tunes comedy gags you know yeah because like the having the the shadows just be the 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 ringside people like okay you know you're gonna get him rock like that's that's one step down from i don't know just having one of the shadow people put on a dress and be just hot bugs bunny which now that I say it, I just know it's going to happen at some point. I don't. I don't know in what context it would, but anyway. Um, I also really love the hook 
at the end of the episode of Kaito's parents having possibly ended up in the Toji Tendo lair. I know we kind of touched on it briefly. Right? But it's such a great hook to move the show forward now that we've got the team together. Like, it's like, okay, we've got the team. Now here's the plot. Here's the emotional arc. And it's really, like, everyone else had their emotional arc in joining the team. Here's Kaito's emotional arc. And it's just, I'm glad it's a part of the plot that we're holding on to and are building on right away, rather than kind of hand-waving it and then maybe shoving it back in at the end. Yeah, which has not worked out great in previous years, particularly for uh, Kamura Junko. Yeah. Because, like, and, and, like, not even, like, I don't even have to blame her in particular about that, because... Some series have definitely done the equivalent of putting the, oh, and also about your parents at the end of a series, and it just, it wrecks the momentum. I'm glad that she has learned from her own experience and also from other Sentai series that it's really much better to just front load that. Yeah, and like, we've talked a lot about the villains in this show feeling like Komura improving upon her villains in... Zuoger and Lupot. And this feels a lot like her improving upon the Bard storyline and the Lupin Rangers missing loved ones. Which Man, the Bard storyline. <laughs> Sorry. Which were like these huge I forgot about that. I did too. I didn't actually even write that one in the notes, everyone. I just remembered it as we were talking about this. And I'm like, oh wait, there was that. You'll too. remember when Kusaka where... was Bird? <laughs> where it's just like, these huge, major parts of the plot <laughs> that just kind of show up every 12 episodes, which is not a lot in a 50-episode show. That's, like, four times. Yo, the bird was named Bard. <laughs> and, like... Sorry, I am listening. I just... It's just a thing where it's... She feels like she has learned from those two big pacing failures of oh no, I need to keep on this. I need to bring this up regularly. And I know we're only four episodes in, so I I can't say that this is gonna go perfectly. But, you know, she's already brought it up twice in four episodes. Mm. And, like, I really hope that this is a thing that she's going to keep incorporating and really work into the plot and work into Kaito's emotional arc. Because I feel like wanting to at least understand what really happened to his parents and actively searching for those answers would do a lot to round out Kaito as a person beyond just, I, my parents have kind of given me this spirit of wanting to do cool things. I'm gonna go hang out with robots. Though, I mean, like, in fairness. I mean, that's like, great. Hanging out with robots is pretty cool. That's but great, but also, also you've introduced, hey, they have a secret, like, science lair in the basement and developed these Sentai tools? Like, we need to talk about them more. And, like, by dangling that in front of us the way they have, they're, they're creating, again, one of those big mystery boxes where, yes... I, I actually would like to know what's inside, but they're also making it clear that, hey, we're going to tell you. Yeah, because like, it's, we, it's we, this we, thing of... We're just going to get there. We find out his parents disappeared, 
And it's not just, we're only still talking about the fact that they've disappeared. It's first time we talk about it, they disappeared. Second time we talk about it, oh, hey, maybe they were in the place where the big boss is. Oh my, that's something to look into. Like, that's a progression. Yeah, yeah and yeah, exactly. Like, we're building a whole other parallel story. And just, honestly, just Rune just being like, you know, I've heard of some people by that name. Huh. Weird. Like, just just the fact that he's like, huh, that's a weird coincidence, and everyone else is like, that's not a coincidence, dude. That's, it's just, it's so good. And I just, I, I like that we're clearly going to keep looking into this, and it's going to be building, and we're going to get all these, I don't know, wrinkles to it. And that feels like it's it's propelling this part of the show, and good, because like again, not not to rag on Lupot and Juoger too much, but there were points where those shows did not feel like they had any momentum. No, because like I feel there's a degree to where I feel like Lupot was worse, because like Bard wasn't completely core to Yamato's motivations where Zamigo kidnapping their loved ones is literally the whole reason they're Lupin Rangers and the only it would just be like that we know this guy did it and then sometimes he would just show up and it would progress nothing they wouldn't even talk to him about it they would he would just show up fight a little bit laugh about it and leave and then we wouldn't talk about it for like six more episodes yeah oh what a what a crying shame that was we're like at least with bard once he was actively in the show that kind of came together it just felt like a thing that should have been there more than it was yeah like as much as i love misao which i do I feel like Bard probably should have been the actual sixth ranger. I guess. I'm definitely with like, you. Like, from a narrative perspective. He should have... Yeah, because, I mean, Misao... Just, he should have just come just in and out there. the way that, like, Conalo did. I don't know. It's Again, I, I love Zuoja and Lupot. I do. It just, it feels like Komura has kind of realized the flaws in those shows... And with Lupot, at least Lupot was ambitious. I Zuoger, yes. I, I have a lot of feelings on the Kyoryuger to Lupot era of Sentai and how it was getting kind of more and more stagnant um, until we got the shakeups that were Q Ranger and Lupot, which I think were just them overcompensating way too hard. I appreciate that ambition, but again, they they still kind of had that stagnation of these are the things that Sentai are and they have to be in this show, even as we're trying to do something ambitious and different. Um, but Zuoger felt, I mean, I didn't watch Ninja, so maybe Ninja was even more so, but Zuoger just felt so stagnant. Yeah, I think that's a good word for Ninja as well. It, like, oh, oh, maybe not stagnant, perfunctory. I don't know. I, like, stagnant is really the word that that sticks with me because it just Zuoger felt like there was 
zero in it that was new. There was yeah, there was no new ideas yeah. in it at all, even a little bit. And again, I I love it. I love Zuoger. This isn't me saying that Zuoger is even bad, because I I rank Zuoger in like the middle, like dead center of forty five Sentai, and that's that's not bad. It's just that's ooh, that's not bad. It's just it's so there's nothing there to make it stand out. Yeah. Because even if you look at the aspect of, like, look at all these furries, you've got Geki Ranger. Mm. Where that was already a big thing, to the point where I thought that Larry was honestly just the same gorilla suit. It wasn't. It was not. I've gone and compared them side by side, and they are not the same suit. But I was like, man, did y'all just bust out the same gorilla suit from, like, ten years ago? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. Though, yo, remember all the horse furries that were just the... The rubber the horse, masks. horse masks. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Look, that was very funny. Yo, oh, it's hilarious. And that, I feel, on some level, was on purpose, and also just, we can get these for, like, eight cents. Just grab, like, twelve of them, it'll be fine. We'll just buy them in bulk, it's fine. We know the distributor. Zuoger's real strength was its its character writing within the team. And that was really strong. And I love Zuoger, but I just... I have a lot of thoughts on that era and how there's a reason they almost stopped doing Super Sentai. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad that when they stepped yeah, into Rewa and they picked up Ryu Soldier, they were like, let us get back to the basic building blocks and do something new with them on not on a thematic level and not on a a visual level but on kind of a a story level there was something very new and different in the heart of of Ryu Soldier I agree yeah or maybe even not different but just that we hadn't seen in a really long time it wasn't... It just, it felt like something else. It wasn't about shouting catchphrases and doing a pose and you hit the bad guy and then it gets big and then you hit the bad guy. I don't know. There was just something in the heart of it that we hadn't seen in a very, very long time. And it... Man, Super Sentai's good. Reiwa Super Sentai really has kept that up. I'm really happy that three years in a row, we've got these really, really good Sentai. That, like, the story is good, the aesthetics are good, the action is good, like, the dynamics are good, everything is just rock solid. And again, we're only four episodes into this show. I can't say that all of Zenkaiger will be like this. But if these first four episodes have been of such quality that, like, the first four episodes of Ryu Soldier were this good. The first four episodes of Kira Major were this good. So I just, I just want to believe that it's gonna be as good as those two shows. I, and... Honestly, just with these first few episodes, it feels like they're on track to do it. Because 
I don't know, it's called it a gut instinct. This is this is not a thing I could prove, but it feels like you can't get epi- like an opening of this quality if at least most of the production staff isn't on the same page. Yeah. Cuz otherwise like they they just stop. Like they it becomes it becomes a lot of the things like like Lupot, where it's just suddenly we we can't talk about this character as much, and we have to give his upgrade to someone else, and we have to focus on this side more than that side, and it's just there's all this stuff going, and it feels confused, and I'm I'm glad that this one doesn't feel confused. This feels like everyone is having the same thought and that's that just fixes that doesn't fix it it keeps things from feeling like they need fixing and again i can't prove that it's the case i'm just really hoping it is because yeah, it it feels like it again we're only 4 episodes in like i can't say yeah. that this show is going to be amazing the whole way through but it's got the energy no. for it and Look at four episodes in. I, if it's got the energy, that's that's more than you can ask for, honestly. Because a lot of things don't even have that kind of energy in the first four. So, yeah, I'm just I'm very excited for the next ones. Especially since this one knows how to do a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because just ending the episode on, oh yeah, I know those names. I feel like they were on the, they were part of our thing. Just bum bum bum. What a great way to end. Anyway, um do we have any other final thoughts or are we just going to continue spinning out about how good this is? Yeah, no, I think I think that's we really could. uh I think that's really We've wrapped it up as much as we can. Yeah. Uh so then, uh for all of us here at Laser Knees and the rest of the Tor network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.